0: Listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. It is Big Promise Monday. Two of the political parties out with some pretty big promises to kick off the week. Uh, and in the immortal words of that 1980s hit by uh, Naked Eyes, you, you made me promises, promises, knowing I'd believe. We're going to talk about those promises, and a little bit later on in the program, we're going to take a look at what the federal parties are promising when it comes to the opioid crisis in this country and where they stand on various measures, whether or not they believe that there should be a legalization or a relaxation of actual grade heroin, medical grade heroin. That is a proposal coming out of Vancouver. We're going to look at that. Also, an update on what's going on in Saudi Arabia. You may have seen this over the weekend and this attack on an oil field in Saudi Arabia and now allegations from the United States that this was perpetrated by Iran. And what does that mean for world safety, world security and also the price of gas? We'll take a look at that. But let's begin with those promises Justin Trudeau pledging 535 million dollars a year to increase before and after child school school childcare spaces that will also cut fees for parents. The problem is This program would require provincial help, and that may be difficult if you consider the relationship that Justin Trudeau has with a number of premiers, including our very own Doug Ford. If elected, Trudeau says a liberal government would create up to 250,000 more before and after school spaces for kids under the age of 10. Now, this morning, after not taking questions since Friday... The Liberal leader took questions about not taking questions.
2: I'm happy to be taking questions today. I'm happy to be getting out across the country to talk with Canadians about uh, the very important choice, as you've highlighted, uh, that we need to make as a country. Do we continue to move forward, uh, or do we go back to the Harper years? I'm for moving forward, and that's why I'm so glad to be taking questions today. Uh, And we'll be continuing to take questions from media, who I respect deeply throughout this campaign.
1: I respect you. Honest. And what do, you, what do you mean I'm not taking questions? I'm taking questions. This is me taking. This is me actually answering your question about not taking questions. That's always an easy out for politicians, but it's true. Justin Trudeau accused Stephen Harper of hiding from the media last time around, and now. He's not taking all that many questions. Let's get to the Greens and their platform launch today. The party says everything it is promising must be viewed through the lens of a climate crisis, as politics as usual during a climate emergency is simply the wrong approach. The Greens say they would pass a law requiring a 60% cut in greenhouse gas emissions below 2005 levels by 2030, larger than the current 30% target, doubling it. Other pledges in the platform include universal pharmacare, eliminating tuition, and lowering the federally set price of weed, cheaper weed, all of that and cheaper weed. We save the planet and we get cheaper bud. Now, how's this for a nerdy reality check from Elizabeth May?
3: Forgive me,
4: please, because... I have a thing about the term running for prime minister, because I am um, a democracy, parliamentarian, nerd. Uh, No one runs to be prime minister in this country, but we've been presidentializing our system at our peril. So yes, I think I am the best qualified to be prime minister of Canada. I will say that out loud. Uh, But also say i don't think it's
1: very likely well that reality check at the end also underscores that Ms. may is the most likely to scold you for saying something she believes is incorrect meanwhile while justin trudeau tells us that he respects us reporters if you ask Ms. may about running to be prime minister she says we don't do that in our country but she goes on then to actually talk about wielding the balance of power That's what she says. It's not very likely she will be prime minister, but it is a possibility that the Greens would hold the balance of power. And she talks about how that was wielded by the NDP under Tommy Douglas. And her suggestion is is that she is the new Tommy Douglas and the Greens are the ones that are better suited to push forward a progressive, uh, progressive agenda than the NDP. Meanwhile, the Green-NDP war is heating up. And so far, I think this is the most interesting part of the campaign. In a bit of political tit-for-tat with the Greens, the NDP announced Monday it had recruited the former leader of the Greens in Quebec to run there for them, replacing a former new Democrat MP who had
0: defected to the Greens. Mr. Singh? Our focus is on Mr. Trudeau. Uh, We've recruited some of the best environmentalists in Quebec because our plan is the most complete Thank you.
1: Not paying any attention to the Greens. We're just stealing their people as they steal ours. No, nothing to see here. Hey, how's Andy doing? Andy, Mr. Shear, he was working a town hall yesterday. Hit it. Because I know so many people who come up to me and say, I'm sorry, which is a very Canadian way of saying hello. (laughs) But they come up and they say, I'm sorry, I voted Liberal in 2015. I say, it's okay, it's okay. You can make amends for that by voting conservative in 2019. I play that just to give you a sense of uh, how Mr. Scheer is do, doing, working a partisan crowd. And on Sunday, Scheer promised he would reduce the tax rate on the lowest income bracket from 15% down to 13.75%. So there is your update on what's going on on the campaign trail. Peel Regional Police say a targeted brazen shooting at a Mississauga apartment complex that left a 17-year-old dead and five others injured is linked to music videos filmed at the property. An ambush-type attack. That is what police told reporters About this incident, Morgan Campbell is a global news reporter who is working on this tragic story today and joins me on the line. Hi, Morgan. Hi, Alan. What can you tell us? What's the latest on the investigation here?
5: Well, I mean, police are still trying to identify those seven suspects. They showed up. um, Like you had mentioned, it was an ambush-style attack. They went up both sides of the building wearing dark-colored clothing, balaclavas, some of them, and basically um, just opened fire um innocent bystanders were struck with uh, stray bullets um i actually was just at the school that uh jonathan davis he's been identified as the 17 year old victim uh, went to they brought grief counselors in there um to help students i had an opportunity to kind of speak to a couple people who knew him today and you know he's been described as a grade 12 student who was Excited to graduate, was into video games, and uh, really enjoyed helping his father. A uh, bit of a handyman.
1: Such a, a tragic case, and obviously we're, we're keeping our eye on the victim here, as we should. But what do we know about this apartment complex and, and the linkage here to music videos?
5: Well, what we know so far, Alan, is that uh, a music video was shot here Um, recently, uh, police haven't quite pinpointed the exact date, and, uh, our understanding was that this was a follow-up music video that was to be shot Saturday, and it really was a bit of a community event. There was an ice cream truck there, um, it was a beautiful evening, so people were milling about, um, enjoying the Park Ed area when the attack happened.
1: And and the victim in this case, police are saying that this is just a case of innocent bystander, just somebody there for that event.
5: You know exactly. It it was one of those instances where it was the wrong place at at, at the wrong time, um, and uh, you know, so tragic. I spoke to a couple uh, a couple students who were there um, when the shooting occurred, um, and it just. You know, it's been described just as complete chaos. I mean, everybody fled. Um, The people shooting the music video fled as of yesterday when we were speaking with uh, the police chief. They didn't know who the rappers were um, that were shooting the music video. So and I mean, these guys arrived on foot and they and they left on foot. So. A lot of unanswered questions here, still early on in in the investigation. Police are saying that they have copious amounts of video evidence that they're going through. Global News has obtained um, a rather um, shocking and sensitive video from uh, from the shooting. Uh, It's taken at a high vantage point. You can hear the barrage of gunfire. you know, I've had a I've, I've spent, you know, two and two days almost hanging out here, talking to local residents um, and, you know, your heart almost breaks for them. They uh, they're upset. Um, they have a lot of questions. And, you know, there's some fear that. this this area could become ground zero for retaliation. And police said that, you know, that even is a possibility that they're going to have uh, units here um, for quite some time to, you know, keep the peace, I guess. Um, They also had a unit posted over at the secondary school. Um, Lincoln Alexander, uh, the police resources officer, was over there as well today just to keep an eye on things. Even speaking to the students, Alan students were worried about their safety they said they don't feel safe at home they don't feel safe at school um you know your home's supposed to be your sanctuary so you can only imagine you know what's going through these young minds
1: morgan campbell is a global news reporter and is following this developing and very frightening story in mississauga thank you morgan thank you The promise today from the Conservatives is to bring back that children's sports and arts tax credits. Uh, The Liberals have promised some new child care stuff, and the Greens have also unveiled their campaign platform. More on that coming up. The American maker of OxyContin has filed for bankruptcy protection as part of a move to settle some 2,600 lawsuits, most from U.S. state and local governments, Purdue Pharma and its owners expressed sympathy but not responsibility for the opioid crisis, saying, quote, Like families across America, we have deep compassion for the victims of the opioid crisis. About half the plaintiffs have agreed to a tentative settlement, which the company says could be worth up to $12 billion over time. Meanwhile, on this side of the border, Vancouver's mayor wants federal party leaders to t- consider a proposal to allow substance users to access pharmaceutical grade heroin. Kennedy Stewart says he wants a Health Canada exemption from the federal drug laws so a safe substitute opioid can d- be distributed through nonprofits to help prevent overdose deaths from the potentially dangerous street drugs that are often laced with fentanyl. The mayor saying that he has had informal talks with the leaders of the Liberals, the Greens, and the NDP and has tried to set up a meeting with the conservative leader. Where do the federal parties stand on the largest health crisis of our generation? Global News Online journalist Rachel Brown has dug into that and joins me on the line. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Alan. Let's start then with the conservatives. Where do they stand in terms of dealing with the opioid crisis?
3: So the conservative, sorry, did you say the liberals or the conservatives? Let's start (laughs)
1: conservative Conservative today.
3: Yes, so, um, you know, the Conservative Party has traditionally been sort of averse, um, not fully buying into uh, the concepts around harm reduction. So those are things like um, syringe exchange and supervised consumption sites. Um, You know, there was a big court battle um, fought uh, by the Conservative government against um, Insight, the supervised injection site in Vancouver. And so a lot of people look to what happened under Stephen Harper as sort of an example of what the current uh, leader, Andrew Scheer, and his Conservative Party might do if they form government when it comes to dealing with the opioid crisis. Um, And I, you know, the Conservatives haven't, Uh, released their platform yet, but I talked to a spokesperson for the party who said that they would focus more on cracking down on the drug supply, so ramping up criminalization, calling for stronger mandatory minimum sentences for people who are convicted of drug trafficking, and they say quite clearly that the focus should not be on things like supervised consumption sites Um, so I think there's an indication there that um, you know the Conservatives form government that there could be a rollback of the various harm reduction approaches that have been implemented under the Liberal government and it would be interesting to see um, how the provinces would respond to a conservative government specifically provinces that have kind of scaled back their support for harm reduction services like Ontario and Alberta.
1: Rachel, I start with the conservatives because my my guess on this would be that the other parties would be much more closely aligned in terms of a progressive policy, to use that term, uh, when it comes to opioid and harm reduction.
3: Yeah, that's true. Um, there's a lot of overlap um, that you'll see on the approaches um, put forward by the NDP and the, and the Greens. Um, both are calling for decriminalization of drug possession as a way to um, encourage people who are dealing with addictions and substance use issues to come forward and sort of get rid of that stigma that's around um, illicit drug use. So both of them overlap on that sense. Both of them also want to call a national public health emergency when it comes to the opioid crisis. um, And they're very supportive of things like supervised consumption sites and want to put forward funding and a strategy to help provinces that are uh, implementing those services to help uh, provide provide better resources for that. They're also calling for uh, the provision of a safe supply, so uh, pharmaceutical-grade heroin and opioids for people who are uh, chronically addicted to these substances and are using the the tainted street supply. Uh, The Liberals, on the other hand, like the Conservatives, haven't released their election platform yet, but you can look at the record of action taken by the Liberal government on this issue. Um, You know, Justin Trudeau's been hesitant and has said that he would not uh, his government would not decriminalize possession of illicit substances on this so that's kind of where they differ from the other two parties but you know throughout their time in government they have put put in place some of uh, the most progressive measures when it comes to harm reduction services and scaling up things like Uh, prescription opioids for people with addictions and making it so that we have uh, dozens of legal supervised consumption sites across the country that that are open now.
1: Rachel Brown is a Global News Online journalist who has dug into where the federal parties stand on quote unquote the largest health crisis of our generation and you can read her analysis and reporting on globalnews.ca. Thanks Rachel, appreciate you being on the show.
3: Thanks, take care.
1: I'm switching to the city now where this news from the health department at the city of Toronto, where the medical officer of health, there's a new report that's going towards the the council, or rather towards uh, the city's health department, and they want a change, or they may ask the province to change regulations. Here's what the medical officer of health is suggesting Consider removing philosophical and religious exemptions under the Immunization of School Pupils Act, that is the thing that governs this, it's called the ISPA, and only accept medical exemptions completed by a certified health care provider. In other words, remove philosophical and religious exemptions for vaccines. Now here's a little background to that nearly 30% of all school kids in greater Toronto at the age of seven are not fully immunized as required by law. That's according to provincial wide data that was recently obtained by the Toronto star. And in reaction to that, the city of Toronto, the public health department said that those numbers were simply not acceptable. I contacted the ministry of health today to ask, where do they stand on this? And this was the response I got first that the Minister of Health was unavailable. She's in North Bay. And then this written statement that says under the ISPA, remember we just talked about that, the Immunization of School Pupils Act, children are required to have proof of immunization unless there is a valid medical exemption or affidavit of consciousness or, pardon me, it's actually reading it properly here, or affidavit of conscience or religious belief. In 2017, the ISPA was amended to include a requirement that parents complete an education session before they submit a request to exempt their child from required immunizations for non-medical reasons. The education session is intended to support parents to make informed decisions about immunizing their children. And currently, this according to the Ministry of Health in Ontario there are no plans to update this approach if you follow along there essentially what they're saying is yes you can have an exemption for a religious reason or a conscious reason all you got to do is go to a go to an information session go you got to sit there maybe they watch you watch a film i don't know and as if somehow that will change and obviously if you know anything about herd mentality you know that that is a big concern and that number—30 percent of school kids in Greater Toronto by the age of seven—not fully immunized. It is a frightening prospect for parents out there. That is a story that is continue continue to reverberate. Welcome back. A frightening study coming out of Australia. Zombies. Zombies are real. Australian researchers have observed that human bodies move for more than a year after death. A finding that seriously can greatly change how post-mortem investigations are conducted. What investigators found is that arms moved significantly. What they did is they used a time-lapse camera to take overhead pictures of a corpse every 30 minutes during daylight hours for 17 months. And the arms that started off down beside the body ended up to the side of the body, sticking out to the side. They also found over the course of three years that corpses left outdoors would mummify. Hmm... Well, still with the Walking Dead, let's check the provincial or rather the federal election campaign, shall we? Among campaign headlines today, Justin Trudeau is pledging 35 or pardon me, 535 million dollars a year to increase before and after school childcare spaces and cut fees for parents. Trudeau making that promise at a school today in Waterloo, Ontario.
2: The new funding will be used to create up to 250,000 new spaces for before and after school programs and lower parents' fees across the board by 10%.
1: To the Greens, who also had an announcement today, Elizabeth May, the leader, unveiling her party's full platform in Toronto. She says it lays out steps her party would take to start delivering the Canada that people want. May says, just as in 2015, the Greens will again push for universal pharmacare.
4: Now everybody's talking about pharmacare, even those who don't understand it and don't want to do it. We are absolutely committed to 100% universal, single payer pharmacare because it will reduce costs in our healthcare system and it will deliver to Canadians medications their doctors think they need without further making their life more affordable, unaffordable.
1: I find it so interesting listening to Elizabeth May. When I watched the uh, debate, and obviously Justin Trudeau was not there last week during that debate, I think it was clear that Elizabeth May has the greatest grasp of the files, of the actual details of the files, but she also has this way of sort of talking down to people a little bit, which I'm not certain if that's going to be off-putting. I recall that during the provincial campaign, it was clearly Kathleen Wynne who had the best grasp of the files, but that did not matter, did it? It wasn't about who understood the details and the machinations and how government actually works. That's not what people vote for. It will be interesting to see the trajectory of the Greens, especially now, since we have their full campaign document out. I want to give you an update, as I promised, about what's going on in Saudi Arabia in the attacks on Aramco's main crude processing facility, which has knocked out now 5.7 million barrels of daily oil production for Saudi Arabia. That's a 5% cut in the world's daily crude production. Here's more on exactly what has happened, because if you're just sort of hearing about it, it, here's a sense as we dig a little deeper into what happened and why it's important. At 3.31 a.m. on Saturday, loud explosions erupted at an oil field owned by Saudi Aramco. That is the country's state-owned oil company, often described as the kingdom's crown jewel. The Houthis, an Iran-aligned rebel army that has been fighting a Saudi-led military coalition in Yemen for the past four years, initially claimed responsibility for this attack. The Houthis recently acquired much more powerful drone technology that has given them the power to strike targets up to 15 kilometers away. That's according to a recent UN report. But Saturday's strikes would represent a marked increase in sophistication compared to those earlier attacks. Western and Saudi governments believe Iran has been assisting the Houthis to acquire more and use these advanced drones a charge that both Tehran and the Yemeni rebels deny. The U.S. government has now produced satellite photos that show what officials say are at least 19 points of impact at the two Saudi energy facilities, including damage at the heart of the plant. And officials told U.S. media that the photos show impacts consistent with the attack coming from the direction of Iran or Iraq, rather than from Yemen to the south. Tehran says it has nothing to do with Saturday's attack. Now, stepping into the fray, Russia. Russia has now warned the U.S. against striking Iran after the United States accused the country of tearing out the attack on those oil facilities in Saudi Russia's foreign ministry has warned the U.S. against striking Iran over the attacks on oil facilities in Saudi Arabia. Russia, which is an ally of Iran, condemned Sunday's attacks, but also warned countries not to rush to conclusions over who was behind them. It comes after Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said the U.S. was certain that Iran was responsible, and President Trump signaled he was considering a possible military response. Iran has denied the U.S. accusations as fake. Patrick Rievel, ABC News, Moscow. And to give you a sense of how this is all playing out, this is very 21st century in terms of negotiations and diplomacy. Here is Julia McFarlane with more on the back and forth and how the Houthi rebels in Yemen claimed responsibility.
3: After Secretary Pompeo pointed the finger at Iran, the Iranian foreign minister, he didn't say anything about the Houthis, but he hit back at Secretary Pompeo in a tweet. Zarif said... Having failed at max pressure, Secretary Pompeo's turning to max deceit. The U.S. and its clients—he's talking about Saudi Arabia there—are stuck in Yemen because of illusion that weapon superiority will lead to military victory. Blaming Iran won't end disaster. Accepting our April 15 proposal to end war and begin talks may.
1: That is Julia McFarland reporting on the back and forth between Iran. And the United States, which of course has accused Iran of being behind this attack on the Saudi oil fields. And in terms of how that impacts us, obviously the first thing you have to think about is with 5% of the world's oil production down, what does that mean in terms of the prices at the pumps? First, though, here is Dan McTague, our gas price analyst, talking more about what the attacks have done to the actual amount of oil production.
2: There were times going back to 1973 after the Yom Kippur War to uh, the Iranian Revolution in 1979 to the first uh, uh, you know, attack on uh, Iraq in 1991. All those were potential threats to supply. They weren't actual physical su- uh, threats. This is a physical hit, and it takes out uh, anywhere from half to a quarter of uh, Saudi Arabia's output. Much of that production works out to about anywhere between two and five million barrels a day. It's not insignificant. world consumes about 96 to 97 million barrels a day. So you're looking at about four or five percent, and it does have an effect in the long term. Uh, in other words, depending on what's happened here, if it's a, a long process uh, before they recover and production can't get back to where it is, eventually there will be a drawdown, a significant drawdown in world global
0: oil supplies.
1: So that's what's going to happen in terms of a long term. But as you well know, there's, you know, somebody has the hiccups in an oil production facility and the price goes up somewhere here. It seems like it happens instantaneously. But here is Dan explaining why it looks like we are not going to see a huge jump.
2: Uh, Kelly, we're going to dodge a bullet and it's only because of pure coincidence. Uh, Every year we have uh, the seasonal change in the fuel spec. In other words, we have winter gasoline, we have summer gasoline. And no, it's not a joke. Uh, It's not something Doug Ford invented. Uh, It has a lot to do with the fact that uh, during winter, we use different uh, components in gasoline. Uh, It tends to be a lot cheaper for refineries. And as of September the 15th, all the way to April 15th, that's winter blend is a lot uh, cheaper to make by about four cents a litre. That's coming into effect this week at exactly the same time we would otherwise have a five- or even a six cent a liter increase. So by Wednesday, and I think uh, it's fair to say you've heard it here first, mm-hmm. uh, looks like a two cent increase. So sixteen point nine at many stations this morning here in the GTA, $1.18.9 uh, by Wednesday, unless something dramatic should change, that could be less or that could be more within a
1: penny. That is Dan Tegg speaking to Kelly Cotrera earlier on this radio station about how the fact we will not see a giant spike in gas prices because of what's going on in Saudi Arabia. I hope that brings you up to date, gives you a little bit of better perspective on what's going on. When Canada decided to legalize marijuana, was it thinking about the dogs... Was it thinking about the pets? Because veterinarian clinics across the country are seeing significant increases in the number of dogs being brought in stoned on pot products. Quote, we are absolutely seeing an increase, says Dr. Ian Sandler, a member of the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association's National Issues Committee. And to talk more about this... I am pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Scott Bainbridge, who is co-owner of Dundas West Animal Hospital in Toronto. Scott, thanks for being on the show.
0: Sure, Alan. Thanks for having me. Have you seen this? Yeah, we have. And unfortunately, there have been an increase in cases in the last, uh, well, since it was legalized, I think it's just, you know, it is just more abundant around uh, around the, the dog's environment these days.
1: And what does it mean in terms of the health of the animal?
0: Well, I mean, when I mean, we think that dogs might be a little more sensitive to the THC component of it, and then in some cases too, it might be combined with like you know chocolates and brownies, which is not great for dogs as well. So, uh, so when the animals come in, they're usually it's usually pretty obvious if they've, if they've into it because they're you know fine a couple hours ago, and now they're like you know they're they're wobbly and they're they're dribbling urine and uh, and uh, showing some major lethargy. Um, I have to admit most most of the Animals do quite well, like often we'll hospitalize them, get them on some uh, sub-Q fluids, and the dogs tend to recover, recover quite well as long as they didn't get into too much.
1: It, it could. It can't be fatal at all. There's no lasting harm from you know, THC. I,
0: I mean, we 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 haven't seen THC associated with fatalities. But sometimes, what can happen, they can they can start vomiting and they get aspiration pneumonia, and they can get pneumonia that way. Um, if it's combined with with chocolate and caffeine, we can see some cardiac effects too. But the THC itself, I don't think, is as toxic as you'd expect. But when it's combined, it can it can lead to other problems.
1: I mean obviously I think we know what what's happening here like you say brownies chocolates I mean you know the dogs they can just they can find anything so for for, for those people at home who all of a sudden you know maybe come home and oh Fido's gotten into the gummies what do they do
0: well for Sure. I mean, so I mean, if if that's happened, you know that for sure. You get them to your veterinarian. The time is of the essence because if we can get them to uh, to induce vomiting, we can get them to throw it up, then we'll uh, we can also get them to to take some charcoal, which to kind of uh, decontaminate it as well. And it will help them in the end. Um, what most people tend to do is not really notice that that's happened until the dog starts to get showing you know show signs, and then at that point it's kind of too late for us. So.
1: And, and is it just a question of ride it out, or yeah, should you take I mean, the dog to the vet? Definitely
0: get them into the veterinarian, and then they can advise you best, uh, depending on how the situation is. But like I said, often we'll we'll hospitalize them and get them on fluids
1: at that hey, point. Here, here's a, here's something I know that dog owners are going to feel, uh, and that's they're going to like going to think to themselves. I'm an idiot, and I'm I'm going to get scolded for this.
0: Uh, yeah, no, not at all. And you know, what? actually, since it's become legalized, there's less um, tiptoeing around <laughs> these things because in the past it was difficult because people were worried they were going to get in trouble for this kind of stuff. But your vet is going to be totally open with that, and uh, the the more information you can you can give us, you know, let us know exactly. Especially if it's a you know, if it's a recreational product, then you can bring in the label for us, so we can have a rough idea of just exactly how much they got into as well. So.
1: Dr. Scott Bainbridge is the co-owner of the Dundas West Animal Hospital in Toronto. Thanks for being on the show, Scott. Thanks again, Alan. So there you have it, vet clinics right across the country. Indeed, seeing significant increases in the number of dogs being brought in, stoned, or on pot products. Just another reason to keep the gummies out of reach. Keep them up high, very high, if you know what I mean. A Little Late with Lily Singh begins tonight. 12.30 12:30 a.m. on Global. And Lily Singh describes this show as quote a half hour late night show it's going to be sketch comedy we're going to do a take on a monologue i'm going to have guests probably some musical sketch comedy as well it's kind of similar to the things i've done on youtube but we're going to change it up a little bit positive uplifting comedic good vibes if you don't know who lily Singh is you probably are not on the tube of the u she is a huge youtube star and has transcended that here is a clip of what her show will sound like from nbc i'm
2: getting a tv show which is crazy and awesome an indian canadian youtube star joining the nbc late night family for many many years what no
1: take
5: backs Welcome to the show.
2: You can expect sketch comedy, some musical comedy. We're gonna play Partner Pictionary. Some great guests. She's an incredibly talented actor and entrepreneur. There's a lot
3: of obvious ways I'm different. I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color. I feel it's a perspective we haven't seen in the late night space for a long, long time.
1: All right, that goes on a little bit, but there you have it, a taste of the show A Little Late with Lily Singh, which debuts tonight on Global. To talk about the significance of this, and you heard Lily there talk about, you know, she's an Indian woman, Indian Canadian woman, to talk more about the significance of an Indian Canadian woman being on late night, I'm joined by Farah Nasser, my co-anchor on Global News at 5:30 and 6. Hi, Farah. Hi, good afternoon. So, how significant is it? It for you, do you think this is a big deal?
4: I think it's incredible. I mean this hasn't happened. This is something that I mean if you were to you would have told me when I was, you know, young, growing up in Mississauga that a girl from Scarborough was going to have her own late night show. I would never ever have believed it. When we were younger, we never saw ourselves represented, um, to forget late night, just even on, on television. And I know her first guest is uh, Mindy Kaling, who has her own uh, comedy show and who's you know a star in many movies and has, her career has just skyrocketed since The Office. And so just to have the two of them together uh, on tonight is something I can't wait to watch uh, because, again, it's like it's, it's the whole idea of representation matters. I mean, young girls who are going to watch this and it will not even be an issue. They're, they'll have big dreams of acting or being TV hosts, because it's happening now.
1: And you talk about that, about not seeing yourself reflected when you grew up, when you watched late-night TV, the, all you know, everybody was white, there was, you know, very little bit diversity, especially in the hosts.
4: Mm-hmm. I mean, there was Arsenio Hall. Remember? I remember. I I remember watching him. But I think it, South Asians, South Asians, were not represented. Um, you know, even it's funny. On the news last week, we were talking about Priyanka Chopra. We had a live shot of her. I don't know if you remember, but I said out loud, you know, oh, she's made it into Hollywood. Well, you know, it's, it's funny that we see things that way, because Bollywood was so big. The, the television industry in India is huge, but there's this kind of validity, uh, rightly or wrongly, when somebody breaks out and makes it, makes it in the West. And I mean, Lily Singh is, is from here, um, has made it in the States, has, has beat out probably so many people to get this very role. The other thing that's really significant that I think a lot of people aren't talking about is the fact that she's also bisexual. So to be a South Asian woman and bisexual, first of all, and out, is... I mean, it's very rare. It is uh, a challenge to say the least. I'm sure for her. Um, I mean, with her aunties and uncles and, and family, uh, I'm sure that was a, a decision that she had to really think about to come out. But I, I actually talked to her about that when I met her. I said, so "That's that's what I think is so cool about you—that you have, you know, the guts to not only be this South Asian woman who's out there, but to, to talk about your sexuality so openly."
1: And, you know, this is, you know, when we start talking about this and it is so significant, the the thing is, is that people will tune in because she does have a different voice and a different perspective. And she's going to have to keep that. But then she's also going to have to bring the goods, too.
4: Yeah, totally. I mean, we everyone's saying that she's the first South Asian, or sorry, the first woman of color on late night, and that's not true. Wanda Sykes had one season on Fox. Uh, I think it was like, I don't know, 2009 or something, and that was one season. So you're right. She's gotten here. She will now have to bring it. It looks like she has a lot of fantastic guests. She's picked um, you know, people of color for the first week. Uh, she, I don't know if it's a conscious or unconscious move. Maybe Mindy was a conscious move, but um, I think she, she sees that there is really an appetite for a different perspective. She's also young. She's 30. Um, so to, even to bring that young perspective uh, to late night I think is going to bring her a long way.
1: We're going to talk more about this tonight on Global News as well. Farah, great to have you on the program. Appreciate your time.
4: Alright, see you later.